0: is christian questions
1: Jason Feinberg once said i wear my wife's eyeglasses because she wants me to see things her way good morning everyone and welcome to christian questions talk radio with a purpose with jonathan and rick this isn't your typical christian commentary we love talking with our audience and we promise to talk to uh, never talk at you like so many talk shows do today This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective.
2: And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone.
1: Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen and then you talk and we listen.
2: You can also contact us at our website, christianquestions.com.
1: I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we're glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us On this fine Sunday morning, good morning, Jonathan, what's happening?
2: Good morning, Rick. Our question this morning is, has your focus changed enough? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 5, verse 37. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. Ruined.
1: And Jonathan, this is kind of an interesting scripture. It is a parable, and I think the lesson here is sometimes change is in order. Now folks, sometimes it becomes evident the path we are currently following is not leading us in the best direction, and a decision is required to alter not only our direction, but our thinking as well. This is what we are faced with when we profess Christianity. This profession requires us to observe, perceive, and follow through on a different life. So really the question this morning is, are we ready for that? Are we ready for a different life?
2: Well, Rick, you're not in the studio. Where are you?
1: Yeah, I decided to not show up. I didn't get to sleep in, though, either. Uh, actually, Jonathan, I'm uh, out in uh, Detroit, Michigan. I'm at a uh, Bible conference here. I'm sitting at the uh, the dining room table of some good friends, John and Karen, and they're actually sitting in the room here, uh, sort of watching as this whole thing unfolds. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a few hundred miles away, but uh, nevertheless, we're here to, to talk about some interesting scriptures. Very good. So, today's lesson, folks, today's discussion is really going to be about uh, a parable that Jesus spoke. At. It's, it's a, one of the shorter parables, it's just got a few lines, and um, what we want to do is get a sense of what the parable is, and the context of the parable as we begin our conversation this morning. And really, we're going to be talking about our own thinking and the importance of changing our thinking when it's required that we change our thinking according to our profession of Christianity. So, so Jonathan, this parable was actually um, written up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay. Okay. So rather than read all three of those Gospels, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to consolidate those three Gospels together, and we'll, we'll, we'll read through the parable and its context with this consolidated version, so we're not necessarily following any one of those Gospels. And um, So Jonathan, let's get, get started. Let's lay the groundwork, uh, Get go to a little bit of background, and then back to the parables.
2: And John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they, John's disciples, Come and say unto him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast often and make supplications, but thy disciples fast not? Which means Jesus' disciples.
1: Right. So you have the followers of John and the followers of Jesus and the Pharisees are all the three groups involved here. Gotcha. And John's disciples are, are, uh, are asking, they're asking Jesus, Hey, how come we as John's disciples, we go about fasting and, and praying and, and, and living in a very certain way. And, the, and those who follow you don't seem to be doing that. Aren't you guys, like, uh, you know, like, like off the path? And it's actually a very sensible question. It is, sure. So, and, 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 and let's, as we, as we pursue the parable, let's, let's pause for a second, and let's just go back to a little bit about John the Baptist, because he was a very radical example to follow. And he he set an example that his followers uh, were trying to comply with. Let's just take a a look, a descriptive look, if you will, at what John the Baptist may have looked like and acted like. Mark chapter 1, verses 6 to 8.
2: John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit.
1: So, John had a very wild appearance, I think.
2: Yeah, definitely. He he was out there. I mean, he wasn't afraid to let people know what, what was happening and what was going on.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. He 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 was he was very very honest and forthright about telling them what was going on, and his his mission was you know to get people to repent of their sins, um, and and he was very uh, unique in his approach. He yes. didn't look like he was following anybody or anything, but he had a very specific mission, and there were those who followed him in following his mission because they believed in what he was saying, and that was a good thing.
2: That's right. That's right. And there hadn't been uh, prophets for quite a while, um, were there?
1: Right, as a matter of fact, that's a good point. Uh, the the previous prophet to the uh, nation of Israel had been Malachi, uh, and that was about 400 years before this.
2: So, this, so is, this is great. The people are happy to see someone of the Lord's uh, message going forth.
1: Yeah, but you know, they see it coming from what looks like kind of a wild man. Right. You know? So, so you know they're seeing things that are, are a little bit different, and I mean, what would your reaction have been if a John the Baptist came on the scene? It's like, whoa, you know, what has he got in his coffee? Kind
2: of. <laughs> well, he, he's got uh, he's got honey, and some people say the locust really is carob. But uh, So chocolate and honey gets you going, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't know. Folks, listen, we're talking about changing our thinking to, to really truly following after Christ, and what does it require, and how have we done so far with that. If you have a thought, you'd like to join the program, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866 985 We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now.
2: We want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com.
1: So, Jonathan, the question that John's disciples are asking Jesus really is really simple. Why are your disciples so different? Why are they not complying with the way things have always been done? The commentator Barnes has some interesting thoughts just on putting this in perspective.
2: It is probable that they had understood that John was the forerunner of the Messiah. And if such was the case, they could not account for the fact that there was such a difference between them and the disciples of Jesus. The Pharisees fasted often, regularly twice a week, besides the great national days of fasting. This was the established custom of the land, and John did not feel himself authorized to make so great a change as to dispense with it. They were desirous of knowing, therefore, why Jesus had done it.
1: So it's the kind of thing that says, it's always been this way. John, this, this great prophet, has kept it this way, and everybody is used to it this way. Why are, you, why are you messing up the waters? Why don't you just comply? Why are your disciples so different? So it's a very legitimate question. So Jesus answers the question. And let's go back to our consolidated version of Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5 to get his answer.
2: And Jesus said unto them, Can the sons of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then will they fast in that day.
1: All right, so let's pause there for a moment, because that gives us a sense of something very different, and as usual, when Jesus answers a question, he doesn't deal directly with the question, but he expands the answer to be much bigger and to give them a much better comprehension if they know what to look for, and that's really the key, if they know what to look for. So they're asking the question, well, how come your disciples don't fast? And his answer is a picture of a bridegroom uh, coming for his wedding. And his question is really simple. Well, look, if, if the bridegroom is there for the wedding, do you think that those that are with him are going to be fasting, are going to be, are going to be denying themselves at this time of great, great, great celebration? And the so,
2: answer is, of course not.
1: Right. I mean, who would do that? This is, this is a wedding time. This is a time to be happy and to, to, to be joyful. So Jesus' direct answer isn't quite direct, but it gives them a sense that, well, it, Jesus is, is sending the message, something different is happening right here and right now. It's just it's different. You have to see that things are different than they were before. So he gives an honest and logical answer, and now, after he gives them an answer, he doesn't stop there, And now he's going to teach them a lesson by way of parable.
2: And he spake also a parable unto them, No man rendeth a piece from a new garment, and putteth it upon an old garment, else he will rend the new. And also the piece from the new will not agree with the old, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. And no man putteth new wine into old wineskins, else the new wine will burst the skins, and itself will be spilled, and the skins will perish. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no man, having drunk old wine, desireth new, for he saith, the old is good.
1: Okay, so there, there's several things here, but Jesus gives two very simple illustrations from the world in which he lives that uh, w- would probably ring true with everybody there everybody would understand what he's talking about sure the first the the, the first example is an old garment and you're gonna put a new patch on it and what happens between those two
2: well the inevitable inevitable shrinking of the new will damage the old
1: so you're gonna patch the the uh... the old garment with a a new piece of, of cloth a new piece of material and that piece of material has not weathered the way the old has And so it's going to have to do what it does and it's going to literally rip the old garment further. It's going to, it's going to make more damage. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that. So when Jesus is talking to them, he's talking to them in language that they clearly and easily understand. That, okay, of course you don't do that. And it's, it's a subtle way to say, there's something new going on, and you can't do what was old when you're dealing with something new. But he doesn't stop with that one example. He goes on to another example, and what was that one?
2: The wine and the wine skins. And the reason is uh, fermentation must be done in a sealed skin. It forces expansion and the stretching of the skin. Once stretched, the skin can no longer be used for new wine.
1: Okay, so... When they would put wine, when they would put the, the, the wine into those, into, those, into those animal skins and they'd seal it up, what would happen is you've got the, the carbon dioxide that, that, that literally creates an enormous amount of pressure. And it, it stretches out that skin. Once the skin has been stretched with it, it can't stretch anymore. So if you empty that and then try to do it again, you're gonna, it's going to burst. And then you're going to lose the skin, you're going to lose the wine. And it's all been a waste, and and who wants to to waste good wine? I mean, really, that's what Jesus is saying here. Sure. Um, so, what you have is a real sense of Jesus looking at the question, and and, and it's interesting because he's really saying this is a really good question, and this requires a very specific answer. And as usual, Jesus gives an answer and is challenging those that are listening to him. To follow him in a way to see that the answer is going to lift him up to a different level, to a higher level, to a, to a whole different way of thinking. And he's talking so our, about
2: he's talking about old things and new things. So a change a change is coming.
1: And the whole point is, we know. I mean, you know, it's easy twenty twenty hindsight. You always look back and you know what was going on because you can see it. Because you know we're not in the middle of the experience, but for them. The the law had always been there. It had always been their guide, and for some reason, Jesus seems to be rising above that. So, Jonathan, as we go into this break, that's a really good question to think about. What about the law? What about Jesus?
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, has your focus changed enough? Coming up, so what in the world is a paradigm or a paradigm shift? Oh, I know. A pair of dimes is 20 cents. No, no. Well, seriously, how can it help us find the truth?
0: That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Has Your Focus Changed Enough? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255 that's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, christianquestions.com. And Rick, we cannot hear you.
1: And oh, okay. There you go. I'm here now. Okay, are you good? We're good. Okay. All right. So, Jonathan, sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Uh, you were talking about dollars and cents uh, going into the last break, right?
2: Yes, I was.
1: Okay. What in the world is a paradigm? Because Jesus, in this parable of the old garments and the new patch, the old skins and the new wine, was really talking about the, those who were asking the question... He was talking about making what we call today a paradigm shift. That's a, that's kind of if, if folks, if you're not familiar with the phrase, we'll define it in a moment. Something we made up, that's for sure. Uh, but it it is a once you. Un-
2: hey Rick, uh, you are breaking up for some reason. Um, it sounds good at times, and other times uh, it's distorted, and we can't hear you at all. And sometimes it goes silent. Uh, check your connection.
1: I mean, we're. it looks like good here, I and mean, there's nothing wrong with your end. So Okay. Um, okay, I don't know. I'm going to keep going. You just tell me if I uh, run into trouble, and we'll have to figure something else out. Okay. So at this point, Jonathan, let's go to uh, – I want to go to a book uh, written by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and uh, in that book I, – I,
2: Yeah, you phased out Excuse again.
1: Me. Huh. Um, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Why don't you read those those pages, Jonathan, page 23 and page 29. Just a couple of those pages to define what a paradigm is.
2: For our purpose, a simple way to understand paradigms is to see them as maps. We all know that the map is not the territory. A map is simply an explanation of certain aspects of the territory. That's exactly what a paradigm is. It is a theory, an explanation, or a model of something else.
1: Okay, so he's saying that a paradigm is a a model or a map of something else that's in your head. Now just go down to the next few lines from page 29.
2: The term paradigm shift was introduced by Thomas Kahn in his highly influential landmark book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Kahn shows how almost every significant breakthrough in the field of scientific endeavor is first a break with tradition, with old ways of thinking, and with old paradigms.
1: All right, so that's interesting. Every significant scientific breakthrough is a break with tradition. And that's why this this parable uh, that Jesus is speaking is so important to understand in the context of paradigms. And then, Johnson, just a few more lines from that book.
2: For Ptolemy, the great Egyptian astronomer, the Earth was the center of the universe. But Copernicus created a paradigm shift and a great deal of resistance and persecution as well. By placing the sun at the center, suddenly everything took on a different interpretation.
1: So that's the point. When you make a paradigm shift, everything takes on a different interpretation. So Jesus is telling the disciples of John, it's time for a different interpretation. It's time for a different meaning to the things that are happening.
2: And Rick, uh, you, you um, went silent again, and maybe you're just too close to the mic. It seems to be um, peaking and then going silent.
1: Okay, well, I'll back up. You just uh, keep uh, telling me, folks, we apologize for this. This is a little bit unusual, but, you know, generally when I'm away, something always goes wrong. So <laughs> Here it welcome is. to the party. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Jesus was the deliverer, okay? He's the one to whom everybody looked for in the future. Now the future had arrived. And so obviously if you're waiting and waiting and waiting, you're going to act differently than when the deliverer, than when the package has arrived, if you will. So let, let's try to define this whole context. What was the paradigm of the disciples of John? What was the method that they were used to thinking in? Let's go back to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4.
2: The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins.
1: So this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is, he's he's preaching a baptism of repentance. A lone voice with a very simple message to say something's about to happen.
2: That's, okay, right. So that's right. That's right. His job was to get the Israelites' hearts right in preparation for Messiah, right?
1: Yes, exactly. He's he's His is a work that, by definition, is going to be a short-term work because it's a work of, like you said, preparation. It's a work of getting things in order, getting things ready to go. And once they're ready to go, it's, it's like packing for a trip. You know, your paradigm is you go through the house, you get the stuff together, and you want to leave the house in decent order, and, and you do all of this work, And, and but once it's done, hey, now it's, the, the, the trip is here. So yes. there's, a, there's a big difference between the two.
2: Absolutely.
1: And it's not as much fun to pack for the trip as it is to go on the trip.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but you have to pack before you go, okay? So John's disciples notice. Now, so that that's their paradigm. They're in the they're in the in the preparation stage, and they notice that Jesus is beginning to get a whole lot more attention than John uh, being on the scene. So they're complaining to John about him now, it, it, because they're like, hey, you know, what are we standing for here? We're not getting the kind of attention that we we had always gotten. And John three twenty-eight to thirty is a really good verse that helps. Uh, that shows John understands what's happening and his disciples just need to be brought up to speed.
2: You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase... But I must decrease.
1: So it's interesting that John, as he explains the situation,
2: and you went silent again, Rick. Uh-
1: Sorry, <laughs> I'm not doing anything different, honest.
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: uh, John is saying that um, to his disciples. Look, my work logically has to come to an end. It has to stop. And Jesus has to get bigger; he has to become the center of attention. So, and he uses the same illustration: of the bridegroom. So, when Jesus, in the parable, explains that when the bridegroom arrives, you know, there's not; it's not time for fasting. He is picking up.
2: Rick, I wonder um, how many of John's disciples, after John just made that announcement in John three twenty-eight through thirty, how many decided, all right, it's time for us to shift to follow Jesus, to be one of his followers now. Can't hear you. All right, technical difficulties. Well, why don't we go on to what was the paradigm of the Pharisees? And uh, we're going to read Mark 12, verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement and the second scripture John 5:16 for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the sabbath so rick are you able to comment at this point okay not hearing you all right so rick's going to be calling back uh cuz of the technical difficulties but you know what would be a good idea why don't we go into the next soundbite uh the first soundbite uh fred And this is from Stephen Covey explaining The Paradigm Shift. A paradigm
3: comes from the Greek root paradigma. It basically means a pattern, a model, a representation, something that stands for something else. It comes from the mental image you have in your mind of the way things are out there. And the images we carry in our heads of the way things are, of reality, come basically from our own backgrounds, our own experiences. All of us think we see the world as it is. In fact, we see the world as we are. All right, so Jonathan, can you hear me now?
2: Oh, we can, yes. <laughs> and uh, Fred just adjusted your volume down.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You sound relieved. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> All right, so folks, we apologize for that. I'm actually on, on my uh, cell phone on the speaker, so it's um, the quality might not be as, as great, but at least we're on.
2: Oh, it's coming through uh, great, Rick.
1: Good, good. Well, here's the thing, Jonathan. When we look at this whole situation, uh, and and you know, you went through the the paradigm of the Pharisees. Did you touch on those scriptures?
2: Yes, and we also played the soundbite.
1: Right. So we have the the way they all were looking at life at that point in time was just very different. Jesus comes on the scene and says, "Okay, I'm changing everything. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. It's my job to change everything." He's not coming in to like say, "Oh, let me redecorate the house." He's yeah. coming in and, and saying, let me build a new house, because yes. that's what I came here to do. So when Stephen Covey is explaining a paradigm shift, those who had lived at that time needed to dramatically, dramatically change the basis on which they thought. And that's why Jesus gave that uh, that parable on the wine and the wineskins and the old patch, or the old garment and the new patch.
2: And, so, and, and Rick, let's bring that up to today. And my question is, what about the religious leaders of Christianity today? Have they fallen into the same trap that the Pharisees fell into? Or we as Christians in general, do we need a wake-up call because our our paradigm is not where it needs to be um, today um, in history? What do you think?
1: Well, and I think that that's, that's an appropriate uh, question to ask, and that question needs to be asked, individually. This needs to be a mirror situation where we each look in the mirror and say, have I made the right kind of shift in my own thinking to be sure that it's, it's following after Jesus and not following after something else? Yes. So again, folks, if you have a thought, uh, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866 985 all We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now.
2: Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning, live from 7 to 9. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com.
1: Okay, Jonathan, there's three things that we want to really spend a lot of time on in this program. First, Jesus' objective was different than the objective of the of the Pharisees and the uh, objective of John the Baptist and his, his followers. Right. Secondly, Jesus' message was different. It was different than the message of the Pharisees, and it was different than the message of John and his followers. And thirdly, his method was different. It was different than the methods of the Pharisees, and different than the methods of John the Baptist and his followers. So all of this constituted a new and uncharted territory, and so they therefore needed a new map. Inside their minds, they needed a new paradigm. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 7.
2: My point is this, heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all the property. But they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God.
1: Now, if that's not a verse that describes a paradigm shift, then there isn't a verse that describes a paradigm shift. You're right, Rick because it's really focusing on, look, we were, we, you know, the Apostle Paul is writing this, he has Jewish origin, he say we were servants, we were of the house of servants, we were there to serve God and to follow the law and so forth, but now we have been called to become sons of God. It's a whole different approach, and you have a whole different position, meaning you have to think in a whole different way. So folks, that's the key. The key is the, the, the paradigm shift has to be made in our minds to become real, true Christians. Um, and Jonathan, as we go into the break, let, let's focus on what needs to make that kind of a change
3: in our lives.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Has Your Focus Changed Enough? Coming up, so what was Jesus' objective and how was it so different? Why was Jesus always talking about a
0: kingdom to come? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Has Your Focus Changed Enough? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: And Jonathan, our subject today, as you said, is changing our focus. It's changing our perspective. It's changing everything about us to become absolutely, positively true Christians. Am I coming through? Yes, you are. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Um, So, the parable of Jesus is focusing on uh, the new. The gospel of the kingdom requires a different mindset, folks. And just understand, this even though this was a message that had a sort of a dispensational sense to it because they were changing from Jewish thinking to Christian thinking, and we have always already have Christian thinking, doesn't mean that this idea of a paradigm shift doesn't apply to us.
2: Good point, Rick.
1: Because, you know, our Christian thinking has to grow, it has to develop, it has to get bigger so that we can make sure that we are doing the things that we, we are supposed to be doing uh, uh, in terms of being an absolutely, positively true Christian. And it
2: has to be in tune with Jesus' teachings, right?
1: Right, and that, that really is the point. There's, there's a quote here, Jonathan, from, from Eugene uh, Torriman.
2: What you see depends on what you thought before you looked.
1: I love that. What you see depends on what you thought before you looked, meaning our perception of a situation is going to be based on our thinking before that situation arrived, where our mind was, and that's so important to define what true Christianity is.
0: Hey, Rick, Rick,
2: I wanted to, to let you know we do have a caller uh, on, on hold here.
1: Okay, actually, I was going to go to the sound bite, another soundbite from Stephen Covey, but let's go to the call first, and then we'll go uh, to the soundbite now. Very
2: good. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions.
1: Gentlemen, good morning. Thank you good for morning. taking my call. Uh,
4: you sound okay, Rick. You sound you're okay. Well, if
1: Julius says I'm okay, then things are good. All right. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, uh, I, I preach my sermonette. To so many folks that I meet every day every week uh something like this uh i i says you uh for sure death is sure, taxes are sure, and I said, you can add a third one change you know the ability to uh to uh adjust to the change, of course, our Lord Jesus, he was the greatest uh revolutionary, if you might might use that word he brought change, you know unprecedented change and what a what a wonderful uh uh Guide his to to the true christian uh one one myth about marriage if I may go to the marriage uh, scenario uh okay. the, each spouse expects to change the other before they marry you know it it doesn't happen there's gotta be there's gotta be compromise there's gotta be team effort uh one final thing i i one of my favorite things uh, and then I'll leave you is uh on the willingness to tolerate you know, in, in the interest of goodwill, etc. He uh, says, uh, quote, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity.
1: God bless.
2: Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call.
1: Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As usual, Julius has a good comment. And talking about change, change is inevitable. And again, the whole point today, Jonathan, is are we focused on being what we need to be to fulfill the requirements of what it is to be a true Christian. Let's go. Thanks, Julius, for the call. Um, uh, let's go to another soundbite from Stephen Covey. We're really going to focus on him because he really does a good job in not only explaining what a paradigm shift is and what paradigms are, but he gives some very, very good uh, examples. Let's go back to um, him giving us uh, a, a speech on this uh, from several years ago.
3: It is a map, like a map of this hotel, or a map, let's say, of. Portland I'll ask this gentleman what would you do if you came here to Portland and you have no information at all about this place and you were given a map where you rented the car and it was a map of Seattle (laughs) but on the top it said Portland what would you do
1: so, so, Jonathan, that's a, that's kind of an open-ended question. You get the map. It says Seattle on the top, but it's actually a map of Portland.
2: What a you, dilemma.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you don't know that you have the wrong map. No, you don't. Because it's labeled correctly, mm-hmm. but it's actually the wrong map. It's the wrong territory. It's everything. So he asked the question, what would you do? And And, and the logical answer is, well, if I don't know that I have the wrong map, I'm going to follow the map because I think I have the right one. You're right. And it's going to lead to uh, no place. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that's the idea of a paradigm. Sometimes we have the wrong map in our minds. The, G, John's disciples had the wrong map in their minds when they were talking to Jesus about this whole situation. So let's talk about the shift in objective. The previous objective, the objective of John the Baptist and his disciples was what?
2: It was to fulfill the law.
1: Well, Well, before that, though, it's to announce prepare and demonstrate that Messiah was going to come oh that's right okay okay gotcha that, that is what the, that's what they were there for they were announcing they were preparing they were demonstrating Messiah is coming Messiah is coming Messiah is coming the shift to Jesus objective was what what she said there it was so to, the, the law the, sure right he came to to put an end to that way of thinking to fulfill it and and to say okay this part's done. Uh, let's go to Matthew five sixteen to 18 on
2: that. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, no one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished.
1: So, here you have Jesus saying, "Look, I didn't come to destroy the law, and, and you know you gotta, we've got to understand the difference between fulfilling the law and destroying it." Jesus came to fulfill it; meant that he came to live perfectly, so that the, the requirements of the law can have been met and the ransom could eventually be paid, which is the next point we'll get to. But he's saying, "I'm not, I'm not taking away from the integrity of the law, so it should not have been a major threat had those." People listening to him at that point in time really understood what he was talking about. Fulfilling the law was going to provide a lease, a release from the law for his followers. They were no longer going to be under the under the guidance of the law. They're going to be under the guidance of something new. Again, a paradigm shift. Have we? made that paradigm shift in our own lives. Do we really, truly follow Christ the way He said we should follow Him, or do we follow Him in a comfortable way, the way we say we should follow Him? Folks, if you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free, eight six six nine eight five four all We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now.
2: And our website is ChristianQuestions.com, and it would be a great time to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition.
1: That's a great service that we offer at ChristianQuestions.com, Jonathan. It is a free service. It takes each Sunday morning program and puts it into a PDF file format and gives you the, the, the scriptures, a lot of the commentary, graphics and illustrations, and, and really puts things in perspective in terms of trying to get what we're trying to say and having it in print so you can see the program and hear it as well.
2: And it's a free service.
1: Right. ChristianQuestions.com. Seeker Rewind, the full edition, try it out, you're going to love it. Next objective, Jonathan, the objective of Jesus, we said he came to fulfill the law. What else did he come to do?
2: He came to pay the ransom price to open the door to salvation for all.
1: Okay, and, and the door to salvation for all is a very important point that they didn't know was going to be happening at that point in time. Mark 10, 42 to 45.
2: So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as the rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many."
1: Okay, so you have the idea that, you know, it's a, it's a matter, this ransom is going to be paid through a humble sacrifice on the part of Jesus. He's, it's an example for all of his disciples to follow, and he's going to bring the kingdom that his life proclaimed. So it's it's a complete shift. There is going to be something, instead of trying to keep up with atonement for sins, the way in the Jewish law they would always have to do, remember that? Right,
2: with the ceremonies, mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. Year after year after year after year, Jesus is here saying, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That ransom is that is a sacrifice that is going to replace the need for all of those other sacrifices. And Now, now the law had been in existence for thousands of years, right? That's right. So talk about a paradigm shift. They had to get used to the idea that it's no longer to be the old way, but there's going to be something new. And on top of this, there's another aspect to that shift. Jesus came to call out a people for his name as well, First Peter 2, 5-10.
2: Like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture seeing I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame.
1: Okay, so this people, this people that he's calling out for his name will be many who walk the walk of sacrifice, again, paradigm shift, in the likeness of the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus. And, and, you know, Jonathan, the only building that you have a chief cornerstone that the whole building looks like is a pyramid.
2: That's right, Rick.
1: So the top, Jesus is that top piece to the pyramid, and the rest of it is formed to its lines. Um, so, so it's an interesting thing. You're calling out a people for your name. Let's continue with that First Peter scripture.
2: To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, As they were destined to do.
1: So there's a prophecy in this that's talking about uh, this called out people stand apart from the rest of the people, and because and the rest of the people stumbled. You know, they they didn't pick up, they didn't follow, they didn't make the shift as Jesus was calling for when he's talking to John's disciples and he gives them that parable. So now let's go to the last couple of verses of this of this text, Jonathan. We're almost out of time for this segment.
2: But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
1: So, this is interesting, because again, the paradigm shift, and and folks, this paradigm shift brings up here uh, really... is is giving us a sense that there's something really dramatic happening that a lot of us in Christianity are not even seeing. He talks about being a chosen race in a royal priesthood, Jonathan.
2: Yes, he does.
1: What is that all about? When you're a priesthood, what does that mean?
2: It means you'll be like a spiritual guide and a witness to those masses who are stuck in sin.
1: So this idea, this paradigm shift to true Christianity, according to what Jesus introduced in the parable that we have as our basis for our conversation, according to the idea of what a paradigm shift is and what it looks like and, and how we have to make it, and now according to 1 Peter, it's saying that this called-out people is not called out merely for their own benefit. Music. Got it. But they're also called out for the benefit of the world around them. Now, we don't see the world around us benefiting from Christianity right now. They actually don't even like Christianity. Does that mean the benefit is going to come in a future time? Folks, uh, listen, if we're not on in your area for the next hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, stay with us, because we have some great examples of what a paradigm shift is and how it can dramatically change your life. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, has your focus changed enough? We'll be back after the news and all that all that. But till then, paradigm shift. Christianity. Think about it.
0: This is Christian Questions. Joel Baker
1: Barker once said, Usually the first problems you solve with the new paradigm are the ones that were unsolvable with the old paradigm. Good morning everyone and welcome back to Christian Questions. Talk radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and we promise to never talk at you. Like so many talk shows do today, this is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the question and what's the topic and what are we talking about?
2: All right, Rick, our question for this morning is, has your focus changed enough? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 5, verse 37. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined.
1: So we're talking about paradigm shifts, and uh, we're talking about what Jesus introduced to the disciples of John when they were asking him, hey, how come we fast and pray and do all the things that everybody typically does and your disciples don't do what we do? How come you guys are different? How come your guys just don't seem to follow the rules?
2: And we also learn that uh, Jesus was there to fulfill the law and to pay the ransom price. For so, for all of humanity.
1: So and so Jesus is telling them, he speaks to them the parable about the old garment with the new patch, and basically he says in that parable, look, you can't put a new patch on an old garment because it's just gonna it's gonna tear the garment even further over time. And then he says also you can't put new wine into old wineskins because those old wineskins are already stretched out and the fermentation process is going to burst the skins and then you're gonna have nothing. And so you've got to understand that my being here, this is Jesus speaking, my being here has changed the way you should look at everything. It's it changed right. the map that you should have in your head. That's the paradigm shift. So we're looking at the kinds of things that Jesus actually changed in asking the question, okay, that's all well and good for them way back there 2,000 years ago, but what about me? What about us? What about right now? Am I, have I Made the kinds of changes in my own thinking in the in the map that's in my own head to make sure that I am following Christ the way He would have me follow Him, not the way that I think is comfortable to follow Him.
2: Ooh, good question.
1: <laughs> so, folks, if you have a thought, again, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free eight six six nine eight five. For all, we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now.
2: And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Rick, you, you mentioned this is really a mirror a program. We have to look in the mirror when we, we're asked this question, has your focus changed enough?
1: Right, because the really easy thing to do is look around and look at your brother or sister in Christianity and say, ah, look at the things that you have to change, you know, get with the program, brother. Right. (laughs) That doesn't do us any good, and it doesn't do them any good, because they're not going to listen anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So let's focus on this as looking internally, saying, am I doing the things that Jesus would have me to do? Am I representing the things that Jesus would have me to represent? Let's go back to the message, Jonathan, the old message, the message of John the Baptist. What was it? Uh, Repent
2: and prepare for the coming uh, of Messiah uh, and, and ask forgiveness.
1: Okay, so get ready to be able to be delivered. That was John's message. He wasn't saying be delivered, you notice. Right. His message was get ready to be delivered. So Matthew 3, 7 to 10 is a really good verse that explains that.
2: But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire.
1: Okay, so he's really—he's talking to the, to the Pharisees, and he's being very John the Baptist here. Is being very, very blunt. You brood of vipers! Uh, you know, it doesn't sound like he's really uh, talking to them very affectionately.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> but he got—he got their attention, Rick.
1: Well, yeah, you know, and that. That's why he did it. He got their attention and said, you have got to realize, unless you completely change your paradigm, unless you completely change the map in your head, things are not going to go well for you.
2: That's right. They're... The the axe is laid at the root. You're going to be cut off.
1: Right. And and we what we see three and a half years later is exactly that uh, happening. As Jesus says, you know, Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate. So let's take a moment now. Let's go back to the idea of paradigms. Uh, Back to Stephen Covey, he was the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He's giving a speech on paradigms here, and in the first hour, Jonathan, remember, he was talking about, what if you were given a map of the city that you were in, but it was actually a map of another city, and you just didn't know it? Yeah. He's saying, so now he's talking to somebody, okay, you have this map, it's a map of the wrong city, but it's labeled in a way that you think it's the right city, what do you do with this map? How do, you, how do you manage, where do you go, uh, how do you function? This, this is a little bit longer of a soundbite, but it really makes the point of, of what a, a paradigm is. So let's go to the soundbite.
3: So you don't know otherwise. Never been here. You have no other source of information.
1: I would hopefully ask for a, a little bit more direction other than just what's
0: on that map. Maybe have them start me out.
3: Okay, the person at the desk said, sorry, sir, that's all we have, and it's late at night. Good luck to you. Here's the keys to your car. It's right across the street. It's in number 14. And if you'll follow this map, you'll be able to find this hotel that you want to get to. Okay, now I just assume that you call your buddy here up on the phone. And he knows that you've got that map. And he says to you, what's your first name? Keith. Keith, try harder. You're tired. (laughs) So now you double your speed. What's going to happen?
1: I'm going to get nowhere twice as fast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you call him back in a state of total despair and discouragement. And you say to him, I have never been so confused and so lost in my life. And I am following this map to the hilt. And I have doubled my speed. I'm lost twice as fast. He senses you're discouraged. You're really down. You're almost ready to give up. It's despairing. And he says to you, "Think positively." <laughs> so,
1: so, Jonathan, it's amusing because you're following the wrong map, and those on looking at you and, and, and they're trying to encourage you. Okay, you know what? You know, uh, try harder. Think positively. If you're following the wrong map, how much how much good are those encouragements going to do?
2: And not. They won't help you at all, Rick. At all, because.
1: Because, you know, think positively as you go down the wrong pathway. And, and and so the whole point of what Jesus was telling John's disciples in this parable was, he wasn't telling them to think positively, he was telling them, change the map, change the direction, change where you're going, because what you were doing is no longer going to be appropriate. You have to get on board with what I am doing. That's what a paradigm shift is. Stop what you were doing or stop what you are doing and shift to something entirely different. And for us, folks, it's really simple. It's shift to the ways and the teachings of Jesus entirely, not the ways we like them to be, but the ways they need to be in our own lives. So to paradigm shift to Jesus' message, you know, the message that you mentioned, uh, Jonathan, of of John the Baptist was repent and prepare for the coming forgiveness and the coming deliverance. Yes. Yes. The shift to Jesus' message was, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The law was there to lead us, everybody, to him. John 14, uh, verses 5 and 6.
2: Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
1: Now, it's an interesting thing, because we've just been talking about maps, right? Yes, we have. And his, his Thomas says to him, "We don't know the way. There's you know no the map. Way. We don't have a map." Right? <laughs> right? And so Jesus' answer is, "Look at me. I am the map. I'm it. I'm the map. Follow what I do and what I say. I'm the one who's giving you the instructions. You don't have to wait around. You don't have to wonder. I'm going to give you the way to eternal life. It, it's really marvelous that that this example of the map." Jesus not only answers, but he basically says, hey, look at me. I'm the map. I'm the thing that you're missing. Yes. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 23 to 26.
2: Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to the disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith.
1: So again, another scripture. And it, 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 the funny thing is that we, we, we maybe have heard the phrase paradigm shift mm-hmm. you know, in, 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 in psychology and all of that, and people talk about it. And now you look at the scriptures, and it's like all these scriptures are talking about exactly that. They're all talking about making the shift from what was to what should be, and in the Galatian scripture here it's saying, "Look, we were imprisoned under the guard of the law, but now we're no longer there. We are making a paradigm shift. We have a new map because the law has the time for the law is ended, the time for servanthood is ended, and the time for sonship has begun because Jesus has arrived and paid the price yes. So, and folks, that's the inspiring thing about this is, is: is Jesus has arrived. He paid the price. He opened the door for those called out ones that we talked about in the first hour. Am I ready to take on the the mantle of that responsibility and live that life of sacrifice? But, a-
2: but Rick, uh, sun, sonship is conditional, isn't it?
1: Oh. Okay, it's conditional. Well, let's take a look at that then, shall we? And folks, if you have a thought, it's 866 Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's look at Luke nine twenty two to 24
2: The Son of Man must undergo great suffering, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any one have become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it.
1: So, Jesus, you're right. The the conditional situation arises right here. It does. you You know, if you want to be my follower, here's what you have to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So, if you do that, Okay, good, but if not, uh, an okay, not so good. you haven't made the paradigm shift to truly following Jesus. see so so the willingness to follow Jesus is the first test to live that sacrificial life. And that's such a hard thing and Jonathan, I think in a, in a few weeks we're going to do a program on what it means to be to live a sacrificial life because that that's a that's like a big deal
2: and also Rick, uh, Jesus was persecuted throughout his three and a half years of ministry, but today we as Christians... um if we're true followers of Jesus, can we be persecuted and following Jesus today, even from other Christians that see things differently?
1: You know, we have to be careful of that. We have to be careful that we're not the ones shooting out persecution at others who profess to follow Christ. Right. And, yeah, we can. You know, persecution is sort of being pursued. It's That's what it means. Uh, and, and that comes under that heading of a life of sacrifice. But those are the things that, if you are a Christian, Other people around you should know it, even if it's not comfortable for them. You don't have to shove it down their throats, but they should know there's something different about you by the way that you live. And, you know, to to put all that in perspective, one of the other paradigm shifts is to love one another as Jesus has loved us, John 15, 8 to 14.
2: My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you.
1: So here Jesus is is putting into the mix, into our paradigm shift, the idea of loving one another as Jesus loved us. And of course, we know that he loved us enough to, to give his life for us. So you can't get any better than that in terms of loving one another.
2: And we're to bear fruit, Rick. (laughs)
1: Yeah, a little detail there, huh? Uh, To bear fruit. It's not just a matter of being static and living in a little corner and saying, I'm a Christian and nobody can see it. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to have faith. Faith has to be productive. That's part of the paradigm shift and part of following Christ. And loving Jonathan, loving our enemies, even, is is the final test. Good point. As as we go into this break, it's important to realize that our life has to be entirely changed from what it was.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Has Your Focus Changed Enough? Coming up, we've talked about Jesus' objective and his message. But how does he carry those things out? What is his method for change? That's
0: next. You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Has Your Focus Changed Enough? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: And Jonathan, we are really, this is, this is a great, great conversation, because it really puts things in perspective in terms of trying to understand what's required of us. And it was a simple question that the uh, followers of John the Baptist asked Jesus. How come we are fasting and doing all the things that the Pharisees do according to the law, and your followers aren't doing any of those? And Jesus' simple response was, when the bridegroom has arrived, it's not time for fasting and praying, it's time for celebrating, it's a different time. Basically, he's saying to them very nicely and gently, hey, get with the program, there's something new happening. What you have been dedicated to is no longer becoming to be appropriate, so get on board with the following of me, Jesus Christ.
2: And then bringing it forward to our time, are we truly following what Jesus taught and said and what he hoped for and put into us our hearts to to be in expectation of the good news, the gospel?
1: Right. So it, it, when it moves forward to our time, we have to ask those questions. And the most important thing is to ask the questions of ourselves, not of other people. You know, how have I changed or how have I not changed to make my focus to follow Christ the way Jesus wants me to follow him, not the way I want to follow him. That's what a paradigm shift is. It's getting a new map inside of your head. Uh, Jonathan, just before we get back into the subject matter, there's a little little, uh, quote here from Joel Barker.
2: You see best when you think you're supposed to see.
1: Okay, Uh, and again, simple statement. You see the things best, what you are expecting to see, what you think you're supposed to see. Those are the things that you say, aha, I get it. What if what you see is not what you're expecting? How well do we see it and do we comprehend it? See, our mind has to learn to wrap around something new when it comes along. It just doesn't naturally just sink in.
2: Well, it was hard for John's disciples because they were used to sacrifices and rituals and tithing of the law.
1: Right. They were focused on those things as they should have been. Right. See, there was nothing wrong with that focus. Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 3 and 4. Now, this is kind of focusing on the Pharisees and, and some of the things they were doing, and they really got a little carried away, actually.
2: For the Pharisees of all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves and there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots.
1: So they were all about doing the things outwardly that showed that they were pious. This was a mentality that was filled with the law and with tradition. And it was okay, but it was really missing the main points, because the point of the law was to prepare your hearts for the coming of Messiah. And when Messiah came, their hearts were not ready. Right. So what they did is they took the external pieces of the law and really focused on them so they'd look good, but on the inside, they were not with the program. Their math was all wrong, even according to what the law was asking them to do. And they would
2: always look down on those that wouldn't hold the standard that they held.
1: Right, right. <laughs> and, and and those are the people that Jesus spent the most time talking to. Yes, Let's go back to Stephen Covey again, uh, Again, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He's explaining a paradigm shift. In, in this, in this soundbite, he gives an example, and it's a great example of seeing something and assuming it's one way, but finding out that what you see is not what really was. Let's listen.
3: Assumptions of the way things are represent just, that's what the reality is. You don't question that. I remember I was giving a speech a little while back, and uh, there was someone on the front row just constantly talking to another person. And my mother was two rows behind, and she was so upset that here her precious son was being so ignored, so blatantly, so openly, constantly, and would not end. From the very moment I began to the end of my speech, just constant talking, and it just totally discombobulated her own listening, and she felt like taking her purse and reaching two rows ahead. (laughs) Anyway, she went up afterwards to the person that was running the conference, and, Did you see that? Did you see what was happening? Can you believe that right there on the front row? That Yeah, I know. She's Korean. That's her translator.
1: Classic example, Jonathan.
2: That is. That is great.
1: Just we what we see, we we from our own perspective looks like something, but in fact it can be something entirely different. And it just, it's a wake up call for us to make sure that we're understanding what is the call of Christianity? What does it require of us? And how am I responding to it? Not how is it responding? To me. Again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866 Toll free, 866 for all. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now.
2: Go to our website and become a Twitter follower to learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com.
1: Also, Jonathan, we want to let everybody know uh, that we have an app. If you have a smartphone, we have an app for your smartphone. Go to your app store, type in Christian Questions, download the free Christian Questions app. It opens up the door to all of what we do here at Christian Questions. You can listen live, you can listen to archives, you can access, seek, rewind the full edition. There's just a ton of stuff you can do through that app. It's a free service uh, from Christian Questions. The Christian Questions app, try it. Get it on your smartphone, you're going to love it. Okay, back to the paradigm shift, back to Jesus' methods, okay? The methods of the the, the, the the scribes and the Pharisees and the methods of John the Baptist's followers were all to follow the law. Well, Jesus' methods were very different. First of all, his methods had to do with prophecies, both that he fulfilled, and he fulfilled a whole bunch of them. He sure did. And he spoke others. Let's look at Matthew 21, verses 4 to 7.
2: This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on
1: them. That's a a great example of a of a clearly, unmistakably fulfilled prophecy from Zechariah that, that tells us, that shows us, Jesus was the Messiah, he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, exactly when he was supposed to do it. So he fulfilled many, many, many prophecies.
2: And, and, the, that, and you'd think the leadership, the Pharisees, would have seen it and understood it because they've read those those letters, or those laws, so many times, Rick.
1: You're you're right, they did. Those are things that they would have known. But again, their paradigm was such that they could not see Jesus as the proper territory. So they rejected every good thing that he did as not being good because they couldn't accept it. Their their whole paradigm just was completely backwards, and they missed out dramatically. Jesus not only fulfilled prophecies, but he also gave prophecies, important prophecies. Matthew 24 is a great example. We're just going to focus on one little part for a moment, verses 32 to 35.
2: From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass
1: away. So, you know, we have the sure word of prophecy. Uh, it, It serves as a direction for us to follow without fear. And Jesus, in this particular part of the Matthew 24 prophecy of his return, is focusing on this fig tree. And what does the fig tree represent?
2: The nation of Israel.
1: And he's saying that at the time of my return, you're going to see Israel blossom. And, Jonathan, it's startling when you look at the, the, the time in which we live. What have we seen? Well, in
2: 1948, um, they became a, a nation again.
1: And they had not been a nation for 1,800 years or so. I mean, you see this, and it's a startling prophecy that Jesus spoke, and we have seen actually fulfilled, which tells us we are in the time. Of his return. But the important thing here, Jonathan, is that the method that Jesus used was to rely on the Old Testament scriptures uh, to, as, as a, a guide, and then to fulfill those scriptures by becoming the next level of guide for Christianity. So the next part of Jesus' method was to work through the aspect of miracles, and miracles were a major part of the ministry uh, of Jesus. Uh, let's take a look at Luke chapter 6. Verses 17 to 19.
2: Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all.
1: So these miracles serve as a great inspiration for us. Uh, and, and what they are, Jonathan, is they are a preview of what Jesus came to do but did not finish when he came the first time.
2: That's right. It, it was to show the power of God working through him. The bigger picture will be in the future where all will be resurrected and will be made whole. How
1: exciting! It is. It, it, it's, it's a great thing. And that is why Jesus performed miracles. And again, when we talk about a paradigm shift... There's two parts to this. One, as you look at the Pharisees at that time, they saw the miracles of Jesus, and did, that, did those miracles make them believers?
2: No, unfortunately.
1: No, it didn't. It, it, it turned them the opposite direction. Uh, but, and, but when we see, and we look at those miracles of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, does that make us want to follow Jesus exactly in his footsteps, again, as he would have us follow, not as we would have us follow? That's the paradigm shift.
2: Absolutely. And the Pharisees actually said that Jesus was doing these miracles through the power of Satan. Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know what? It really is. It really is unbelievable unless your paradigm says that's what has to be then it becomes believable, and that's the danger of having the wrong paradigm. So folks, this is really one of those programs where we're focusing on what is it that's driving my own personal thinking, and how do, what do I have to do to make sure that my own personal thinking isn't believing things that are really should not be believable, just like you said. The other thing that Jesus used, Jonathan, the other method he used, was the method of teaching in parables. And this is a a great part of of his ministry, and once you understand why, so much more makes so much more sense. Matthew 13, verses 13 to 17.
2: The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, you will indeed listen, but never understand, and you will indeed look, but never perceive, for this people's hearts has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it.
1: So here's a great another great example of, of paradigm shift, and that's the paradigm shift to understanding the privilege of following after Jesus. Because he says here that I speak in parables, so the vast majority of people are not going to understand. That's right. And, he, and he's quoting a prophecy from Isaiah. You know, these are not his own words. He's quoting this prophecy from Isaiah. And he's saying the people are not going to understand. And he says, so I'm doing that, but you... You are blessed because your eyes are open and your ears are open. The question, folks, is, is our paradigm shifted to such an extent that we can realize the gift of understanding has been given to us? And are we getting in our own way of that understanding? Or is our paradigm shifted to be open to the teachings of Christ and not our own interpretation? Tough question. It is. (laughs) and it, it, it's an important question and and lastly Jonathan before we end this uh, this um segment here the other method of jesus was his teaching he he taught through prophecies through miracles through parables and then he taught the lesson of 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 the highest form and the highest level of love john 13 13 and 14
2: you call me teacher and lord and you are right for so i am if I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet.
1: So that's another great example of the paradigm shift of make sure that we are focusing on, uh, on other followers of Christ from the standpoint of serving them and not judging them. So as we go into this break, folks, there's an awful lot to keep out in terms of our shift toward Christ. This
2: is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Has Your Focus Changed Enough? Coming up, have we as Christians truly followed Jesus' objective, message, and method? Or are we stuck in tradition and ceremony?
0: Wake up! That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Has Your Focus Changed Enough? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com.
1: And Jonathan, today it's all about what is my paradigm? What is the map in my head that is directing me to see the things that i see to choose the things that i choose and to go down the paths that i go and the big question is is the map that i am following as a christian the right map that i should be following as a christian or have i you know you know what we can sometimes do jonathan what? is we get the map from jesus and then we say, "Oh, well, look, I can make a shortcut instead of having to go around that big bend and down that big hill and through that windy road. I can just go straight across this way." So we'll we'll add streets to the map. And <laughs> here's a hint: don't do that. <laughs> so, why don't, so why don't we
2: recap um, all the paradigm shifts that Jesus brought to us?
1: Okay, good. Let, let's start with the shift to His objective. The objective of Jesus was different than the objective of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was like the person who's packing for the trip, you know, packing for the big vacation. Jesus is the big trip itself. So there were several things that we are to shift to to find out what his objective is and what are they.
2: Well, they were to fulfill the law, pay the ransom price, open the door to salvation for all, that is, and call out a people for his name.
1: So he brought the law to its fruition. He lived up to the law, and then gave the life that he earned through living up to the law and sacrifice for the life of Adam, so that would pay the ransom price, which opens up the door of salvation to all, because everybody is born in sin, so everybody will therefore be raised in Christ, you know, in terms of being given opportunity for life. And on in addition to that, he calls out a people for his name, and we talked earlier in the program about that scripture, I talked about we are a royal priesthood. Yes. And, and that whole concept is a priesthood is there to serve others. Well, who does this priesthood serve? It will serve the world at the time of this great, uh, in the Great Judgment Day, in the day of resurrection.
2: In, so, God, in God's kingdom.
1: Right. So we have to shift, shift to Jesus' objective, not our own, because sometimes our own Christian objective can be, oh, Lord, you know, I'm having a hard time paying my bills, uh, bring me more money, or bring me a new car, or bring me more... Uh, prosperity, so I can really enjoy it, and then I can serve you even better. That's not the, 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 the way that Jesus approached things. His objective was to to do the work that was before him. So what was the, the, the paradigm shift to Jesus' message? We are, are Are we shifted to actually hear what Jesus said?
2: Well, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The law was there to lead us to him.
1: Okay, it was there to lead us to him, and, of course, that would, would make a lot more sense if you lived 2,000 years ago than right now, but the principle still remains true. What else?
2: Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow
1: me. Okay, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. To deny yourself is the first step in that, in that process there. What else?
2: Love one another as I have loved you. Okay,
1: so you've got the message was really clear. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the map. So if we're going to follow the map, we have to deny ourselves and get on the right road, and we have to live that life in love toward one another. And then finally, we have to paradigm shift to Jesus' method. We've looked at his objective, we looked at his message, and now we look at his method. Are we shifted to learn the way that Jesus taught? What kind of methods did Jesus use?
2: Prophecies both to fulfill and, and spoken. What else? Miracles parables, and love.
1: So these are the methods that Jesus taught by. Are we astute enough? Do we have the right maps so we can look at the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and that Jesus spoke So we can gain some understanding. Do we appreciate the miracles for what they were meant to be? Do we look at the parables and are we given the eyes of understanding? And more importantly, are we using the eyes of understanding to get those parables and get the lessons of what the development of the true church is supposed to be like? And again, that theme of love comes through again and again and again. Are we living our lives in sacrificial love one toward another? So, Jonathan, those are the things that we have to shift to. And there's a lot to do. There's a lot to shift to here.
2: There is. It, it takes a lot of work.
1: Well, and, and that's why the life of a Christian is a continually changing and developing process. And again, we have to continually decide if we're following the map that Jesus himself would have given us. Let's go back to Steve and Covey, Jonathan. There's two more bites we want to get to in this segment uh, before the program ends. And this is a very very pointed story, a true story of something that happened in Stephen Covey's life that really nailed down the idea of making that paradigm shift and understanding that sometimes what we see is not what really is. Let's listen to the first part here.
3: I was on a subway, very, very large metropolitan city. Sunday morning, it's quiet, sedate, bunch of young kids running to the subway. Father follows. He sits near me. The kids just go crazy on that subway, running up and down, turning people's papers aside, just raucous and rude. I'm sitting there. Oh, I can't believe this. He does nothing. Now, look at my attitude, see? Attitude. You try to control But look what I could see. After a few minutes, attitude went into behavior. Sir, do you think you could control your children a little? They're very upsetting to people. Oh, yeah.
1: So, you have this this, this situation and, you know, these kids are obviously just out of control completely. Yep. and it's it's upsetting. You know, he was having a, a nice, quiet ride on the subway, and this, this is ruined. And everybody else is seemingly to be disturbed, and this father just does nothing. He's like he's like he's like oblivious. So you know, Mr. Covey is saying, you know, look, sir, can you do something about this? So we're going to pause. We're going to come back to that in just a few more minutes. Uh, before we come back to that, let's go to what happens right after. Jesus gives the answers to the questions. Remember at the very beginning of the program, we had Jesus um, being asked of... John, John's disciples are asking Jesus, Hey, why do your disciples not do the things that we do? Why don't they fast and follow after the, the, all the aspects of the law? And Jesus says to them, because it's a different time, I'm the bridegroom, I'm here, they shouldn't be doing that. And then he gives them the parables. Right. So he's telling them, it's a different time, there's different things happening. The very next thing that happens, there's two events that happen right in a row that exactly illustrate the point that Jesus was teaching them. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. We're going to take this in in several pieces.
2: And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him.
1: And in the Matthew account, it adds, while he was saying these things. So while he was saying these things about paradigm shifts, This is what happened. Let's pick up with verse 41. Go ahead.
2: And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him.
1: So there's this massive crowd surrounding Jesus, and this guy fights through the crowd his name is Jairus and he comes to Jesus and he begs him please please my daughter is only 12 she's dying please come please come to my house so Jairus is showing great faith here. Oh he is. And 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 he's and he's a father trying to save his daughter you you know what that is. He is focused, he's clear, he knows where the answer is, it can only be in Jesus so he he makes a beeline to Jesus and it this is in, in Jairus' mind, there is not a second to lose. So what does Jesus do? He immediately sets out. He says, okay, I'll come with you. He goes to heal. He's going to show them that the kingdom of God was among them. He's going to show them the power of God that he was given in his own hands. So what happens on his way?
2: And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me.
1: So now think about this. Jairus is saying, Come quickly. My daughter is dying. There's not a second to lose. There's this big crowd, and people are jostling, and this this woman touches Jesus. And he stops. And J- Jairus just, is saying, no, 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 don't stop, don't stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he stops and says, who, who touched me? So so everything stops, and Peter's saying, what are you talking about? I mean, there's people jostling you all over the place. Jesus says, no, somebody has just been healed. W- what happens next?
2: When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore.
1: So you can imagine, Jairus, the, the 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 distress he must have felt as a father. His daughter has died, and here Jesus was on his way, and he just stops to have this conversation. Couldn't the woman have waited? Couldn't he have just put it aside? Couldn't he have just come to take care of my daughter? He was on his way. He was so close. His paradigm is saying, hope has just been lost because I didn't act fast enough. I didn't... So so he's, he's, he's completely distraught here. He's completely distraught. I mean, what an apparent misuse of time that Jesus put in place here. Couldn't she have just waited? Well, what happens next?
2: But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. And he came to the house, and did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother, Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had been dead. He, however, took her by the hand and called her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened.
1: So Jesus shows his power over illness, and the advent of faith, and that in that power he was going to still be able to reverse death. He shows it all. He shows the paradigm shift in this one series of examples. Let's go back to Stephen Covey really quickly here, and let's finish up the story of those kids running wild on the subway and their father doing nothing.
3: He lifted his head as if to come to an awareness of what was happening. Yeah. I don't know, I just guess I should. Uh, we just left the hospital. Their mother died just about an hour ago. and I guess they don't know how to take it, and frankly, I don't either. Imagine the paradigm shift that took place there. Imagine now what the attitude and the behavior would be based upon that paradigm. Can you see why paradigms are deeper than attitude or behavior?
1: So, Jonathan, here you, you see, and, and it's it's startling and how sad the story is. The man didn't control his children because he was distraught because his wife had just died. Those did, those children were now without their mother, and so Stephen is looking at this and he's realizing that he completely misjudged the situation. His paradigm was wrong. Given the right information, he now could un- understand and be compassionate. And the point of this story, folks, is to say to our to to say to all of us, look. We are in a situation where our paradigm can be very wrong in relation to our own Christianity. Make sure that your paradigm, that the map that you use inside of your own mind is a map of pure spirituality from the scriptures and not from tradition and not from what's comfortable. Because Jesus came to save the world. He came to raise that woman who died in that example from the dead as everybody else because that's the ransom price of Jesus Christ. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you enjoyed being with us today. Leave your comments on Facebook or you can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. Until next night, next week, has your focus changed enough? Till then, think about it.